AC is going to bring it to us. Thank you, Martin. The reading is from Psalm 32. It is in page 560 of the Church Bible. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are, are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and on whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle as they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning to you. So you're not on holidays. At least you're here. And if, you're, if you are on holidays and you've chose to come here on a Sunday morning, hey, it's great. You're very welcome. So we're going to talk uh, today about the book of the Bible that we have used most frequently in Crinken over the last 180 years, which is the book of Psalms. Now, it does not mean that everybody who comes to speak here pops open the book of Psalms every Sunday morning, but we do it and do it and do it through our singing. Because so many of our sing- songs are infused with the book of Psalms. Sometimes we, we sing a psalm like, The Lord's by Shepherd. Or sometimes the, the intent of the song, like the one we just sang, about God's forgiveness, is from the emphasis in the book of Psalms. So we're going to look at one of these just now. And even the word psalm uh, means a song that is to be sung by God's people with accompaniment. So God understands musical instruments. It says songs to be sung. Now we're going to read it. I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. Uh, But we we can sing afterwards. So, and and the, 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 the authors of the book of Psalms are like in the case of, of today's Psalm, Psalm 32, which we have 
just seen on the, on the screen, that was done by David. So he wrote nearly half of all of them. But other people wrote them, a man called Asaph, a man called Korah, Moses wrote one, and some are anonymous. So these, uh, these are the, the, book, the book we have turned to the most often for 180 years, we're going to look at in a little bit more detail in one of these Psalm, Psalm 32. Now before I get on my high horse and tell you all about what Psalm 32 is about, you need to know something about me. I did English literature in school until I was 15. You had to. And when I was 15, I got a chance to, to move off to something else before I went to my university entrance exams later. So I quit English literature. And the main reason was because of the poetry. We had, the teacher was a contributory factor. You know, you have those famous teachers. This was the opposite. Also the Victorian novels. Wow. And the poems. We had Ode to a Skylark. One of the girls in our class couldn't pronounce the word Ode properly. And your man, the teacher, used to make fun of her. So it wasn't a happy class. And I gifted as soon as I could and went on to other things for my university entrance exams. So that was the end of English literature, including poems. Then, after a bit, somebody explained to me, the biggest book in the Bible is full of poetry. I thought, man, at least it's not English poetry. Uh, so I thought, well, and then they said, you know, a good bit of the prophets is also done in poetry. So I thought, I have to get serious here. And it was explained to me that actually there's, there's quite interesting things, quite quirky things in the Psalms that we can learn from and God will teach us. So for example, in English poetry, often at the end of the line will, will match, the sound will match, it's what we call rhyming. Uh, the spring is here, the grass is riz, I wonder where the birdies is. That is that the sounds match at the end of the line. But the Hebrews had a different way. What they matched was the meaning. So they had content that matched. The ideas matched. So we just read there in Psalm 32 at the beginning, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. So he's thinking about forgiveness. Whose sins are covered. That's another way of putting it. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. There's another way of putting it. So the, the, uh, the Hebrews could write, write songs which would have a punch, not because the sounds matched, but because the ideas matched and made you sit down and think. So that dragged me into poetry a little bit again. And then I realized that God has wired us with emotions like himself. We are created in the image of God and God is an emotional person. And we are created hardwired with emotions and so we're going to sing. And it is the Christian church worldwide that has been the major singer for so many years. Also, the, when you're going to read a song like this or sing a song, you have to do like you do in school. 
You have to look at who's speaking. So let's do that with this psalm. Verse number one. David says, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven. So here he's just speaking to the general public. It's not to a particular person. He's just saying, here's a thing that I observe. Then in verse number three, he says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. But your hand, who is this then? Your hand? So now he's talking to somebody, to the Lord. And he's saying, I had a hard time. When I was trying to sneak around and, and not confess my sin, that was, that was a bad time. Your hand, you, God, your hand was heavy on me. That's chapter, verse 3. Then verse 8, there's kind of a different thing in verse 8. It says, I will trust, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Now this sounds, it sounds like God is now speaking. And he's uh, coming around to the other side and, and he is talking to David. David was talking to him and now he's talking to David. It appears that it's God is now saying, I will instruct you. Then in verse 10, Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. <clears throat> this time, it's again to the general public. And he ends up with uh, verse 11. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you are upright in heart. And this is quite common in the Psalms, where he's just telling, talking to the congregation in general. Like a preacher, you know, who says, do I get an Amen. Thank you, sister. You know, it's just everybody. It's not a great thing. We just saw in this psalm, God's forgiveness. Wow. So that's the verse 11. Just saying to everybody, hey, let's all rejoice in, in this subject. Okay. One other thing is that this psalm is a personal psalm. David is writing it about himself. There are a number of those psalms that he wrote very particularly Psalm 51, uh, Psalm 32, where he is, where, which is particularly about his sin before God. It is not comfortable reading, but it's in the Bible, we're going to read it. Now when I say pers- it was very personal, but it wasn't a, it's not a private Psalm that David wrote and just himself and spoke to God and never told anybody. He's He's letting you know his personal walk with God so, so that you could learn from it and use it, which we do. Okay, now the, the, the difficult business is, starting in verse 1, I said there are three things matching here. Whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the person whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sins are covered. Now that's, one thing is having your transgressions, those we have knocked over the traces, but you've been forgiven for that. But now there's a different way of putting it. His sin is covered. Now covered. A Hebrew reading this would say, what? Covered? This is the word that they used. For example, in the day of atonement, it was the day of covering, where all the Israelite people got together and prayer was made. The high priest went into the tabernacle to pray for the whole lot of them so their sin would be covered. It would be like put under the carpet. Couldn't be seen. And then, funny thing, but when you come to the New Testament, a similar word is used for the work of Jesus in obliterating sin. 
He is called the, the covering who dealt with all our sins. So that's the second thing he says about sin. Then blessed is the person who, whose sin the Lord does not count against him. The Lord does not count against them. Now, a familiar reader of the Bible, when they read that, the Lord does not count their sin against them, a bell goes off in their head that says, ding, 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 ding. That's a special word, again. Count against them. Because here's the word that the New Testament uses about those that God has declared righteous. It says in 2 Corinthians uh, that we are the people that, for whom God does not count our sins against, against us. Like when we go to meet God and there's a, there's a great accounting in, if your name is written in the book of life they'll be looking all through that but the sins are all gone. They're all gone up in smoke. There's, they're not counted. But here's the, the, this verse number two is then taken up in, by Paul who wrote the New Testament in, in uh, the book of Romans and he actually quotes this psalm he quotes from Psalm 32 to make it a precedent saying if that's what David experienced it has become a historical precedent for those that God forgives there is a difference between getting caught and confessing your sin. And in this case, David is being brought by the scruff of the neck to the point where he would actually confess his sin. And we had a time of confession earlier, and there's a reason for why we do that that way. And it specifically is because in First John we read, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen carefully. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. See, all of us do it. He is just to forgive our sins. He is, in other words, if he didn't do it, that wouldn't be just. And the only reason that God can forgive my sin is because there's somebody stepped in to make it a just transaction and that was Jesus so God has now got a way because of Jesus dying on the cross you know people all over the place here Jesus died for our sin you know they hear it in church all the time Jesus died for our sin but you know what that means it means that God now can be just otherwise he'd be unfair people in other religions sometimes say well why don't you just you know, why doesn't God just let you off? You must be very narrow-minded. Why did he just let you off? He wasn't, doesn't let you off because he's a, he is a just God. You understand what justice is. You work for justice. You want justice. Well, God is just. And he can now justly forgive us. Like when I confess my sin, God can justly forgive us. Forgive me because of Jesus paying that price. So now... My sins will not be counted. Let's rewind a little bit because David had a reason for writing all this. <clears throat> and it specifically appears in, in wording in, in Psalm 51, but also here. Uh, 
In verse 3, let's just read that. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So David had a time when he tried to sneak around and just not think about it. Just put it at the back of his mind. Maybe his conscience was beginning to work. And uh, it, it was a heavy year. It was a heavy year. Because he felt God's he- hand heavy on, on him. And he says his bones are wasting away. Physically he felt, I just, I'm, there's something wrong with me. And his strength, he says, was sapped like the heat of summer. If you were not in southern Spain, you saw it on TV, what that looks like. Just, I couldn't get anything done right. So he had about a year of this experience. And this year began because he secretly did something against his next door neighbors. His next door neighbors was a senior army officer and a beautiful wife. The army officer was one of David's major men. He lists, to the end of his life, the Bible lists 37 people that David regarded as top brass in the army, and this guy was one of them. But like I said, David secretly did something against them. And David thought, the only way we can fix this is if I get this soldier killed. So the soldier was back in home leave. David had a little chat with him and sent to the field commander a note saying, could you get this guy on the front line so he could maybe have an accident? And the poor guy went with the note. Now he he was from a different language group from the Israelites, which is maybe why he couldn't read the note. But the field commander did, as he was asked to do. This guy died. The field commander then sent a message back, sent somebody back to David at the palace to say, here are things are going in the, uh, in, the, in the war. And the field commander said, be careful, David could fly off the handle. So when you come to the end of your little report, say to him, that fellow Uriah, he died in the battle. And when, when David was told this, long story short, he basically said, oh, these things happen. So by this time, his, his conscience was really, was really getting to him. And that's the point at which the Lord stepped in and sent him a friend called Nathan. Nathan was a prophet of the Lord. And apparently known and friend to David. And Nathan went to see him. And uh, told him a little parable. And in the middle of this, he listened to the parable. David flew off the handle again. And at the end, Nathan says to him, you know, this story is about you. And David said, ah, it, it is, it is, it is. And then he says, I confess my sin to the Lord. It's to the Lord I sinned against and just collapsed in in confession. Now there's a difference between getting caught and confessing. You see people in public life who get caught and they say, oh, I'm sorry if I offended you. Which is a way of saying, sorry, not sorry. 
Because if you didn't get offended, then it's all right, isn't it? But David was one of those who did get caught and then immediately confessed. He didn't say, sorry, not sorry. He said, you're right, it's me, it's me, it's me. I, I need to confess this to God right now. Verse 7. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. The moment that David confessed his sin, he suddenly found that God, the same God who had been had his hand heavy on him, was now his hiding place. He was trying to avoid God's, God's gaze for a year or so, and now he says, I've confessed this, but now God is my hiding place. Uh, did you ever have a hiding place when you were a child? Lots of children do this. Did you, ever, did you have a hiding place when you were a child? I had a hiding place which is in a tree. Uh, we lived on farmland owned by my father's cousin. And uh, outside the town, so the fields all around us, cows all around us. And my hiding place was in a sycamore tree, which is beside our front gate, quite high. And sycamore leaves are quite broad. So I could, I could go up there. Uh, I later found out people thought it was dangerous. It seemed fine for me. And I could be up there and I could, uh, it was my hiding place. I could look at the whole world beneath me. I could see people driving in our gate. And uh, I could watch the cattle. But it was just a little place where nobody knew where I was. My parents come out to call me for dinner or whatever. I could always come down because I always could hear it. But I was hidden. It was a hiding place. And that's what David wanted at this stage and that was what was God was for him it's the same God the God who, who was giving him this feeling of his bones crackling and his sapping his strength so as soon as David confessed his sin that was the God who was his hiding place that he could totally relax and be protected from what other people said, what other people thought of him what other comments were made Whatever anybody thought, they thought a lot of things about David they were not afraid to say. That didn't matter because uh, God had provided the hiding place for David. And then he says you'll be surrounded by songs of deliverance. It'll be stereo sound of you will be delivered. So he says you are my hiding place. I'm surrounded with songs of deliverance. Some people think this, this was the, the congregation around him would be singing. And we have wonderful singers here who all egg us on to sing properly. Thank you. But also people think maybe it was God singing, surrounding him with songs. Think, well, God singing, is God that interested in singing? Well, he is. And I want to read one passage from Zephaniah, where Zephaniah writes about God singing over his daughter. He calls the people of Zion his daughter, daughter Zion. 
That's Jerusalem. It says, the, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will, sing, he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Imagine God singing over his daughter with delight. A fantastic picture of the fatherhood of God. God's fatherhood is not so much mentioned in the Old Testament. It's a big thing in the New Testament. Here's a case just before the end of the Old Testament where God is singing over his daughter with rejoicing. Jesus sang, you know, before they went out to the Mount of Olives, to Gethsemane, to the cross. It says that Jesus sang with his disciples. They sang a hymn, which in those days would have been one of these psalms. I wonder what that sounded like when Jesus sang. So David says, you're my hiding place. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And then, once you're living in that hiding place, God feels free to guide you. And so he says some things about guidance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, verse 8. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. It's a bit like sat-nav, you know, when you're driving and you're... When you go a little bit long, you need a little bit of adjustment, the sat-nav so mercifully says, oh, no, I think you should go 100 meters this way again. So God was, and that sat-nav is in the sky with its eye upon you. I always think this is like Psalm 32. He says, with my loving eye upon you, I will keep you going, give you your adjustments so that you can have guidance. And then he says, don't be like a horse or a mule. Animals that don't have understanding, they're sentient beings, but they don't have intelligence like you. He's not saying use your head to get your guidance. He's saying be sensible when God is is guiding you. He will do it with his eye upon you. He doesn't need to hit you up one side of the head to get you to do something. If you do that with a horse, the horse may bolt. That's what horses do. If you do it with a mule, a mule will sit down. So you can't be one kind of Christian who goes way off or the other kind of Christian who just sits down and doesn't do anything. He says, I will, I will counsel you, I will guide you with my eye on you. So, what have we seen? God is well capable of helping us and guiding us with Poetry. We've seen that sin is a heavy subject and if we try to sneak around without confessing our sin, it gets heavy, it gets oppressive. We, we could fly off the handle, we just are, are not all 100% useful. But as soon as we confess our sin, we have God as our hiding, same God, it becomes our hiding place and will protect us from all comers, and will sing over us, rejoice over his children, rejoice over his daughters. So, I want to pray now. <clears throat> the reason I want to pray is because there could be someone here who needs that hiding place. Maybe it's you that needs that hiding place. So, I want to pray in such a way I can... You can use the words that I say, just echo them in the silence of your own heart to 
to invite God to be your hiding place. Let's pray. Oh God, I need, I need that hiding place. Thank you for finding a just way to deal with my past. I'm sick of my sin and I know you're sick of it anyway. But right now, thank you for finding a way to forgive me justly and for being my hiding place. Right now, I want you to become my hiding place. In Jesus' name, amen.